if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 41. I'm going to read from verse 41 through 51. And particularly this morning, we'll be looking at verses 47 through 51. John chapter 6, verse 41. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 41. Hear the word of the Lord. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus? the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that any of you have seen the Father. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of heaven, of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Amen. Uh, here, uh, Jesus, and, you know, I, I wanted to title this sermon, Faith and Figures, because I thought I was going to cover verses 52 through 58 also, but... I'm not. So we can call this sermon Faith and a Figure. And what I mean by a figure is a pattern, a symbol, or a type. Jesus had fed um, the 5,000 men plus the women and the children who were with them at the beginning of this chapter. And there was food left over. And he had done this from, you know, some barley loaves and some fish. And he fed this multitude of people. And then he miraculously uh, uh, delivers his disciples from a raging storm and brings them over to dry land as he walks on the water. And the, part of that crowd gets on ships, part of that crowd that he had fed, they get on boats and they, they, they follow him and they find him in a synagogue. And when they find him, they want 
him to continue to feed them. They were prepared uh, to, to make him their king. They confessed in, cha- in verse 14, this truly is the prophet who is come from God. And then he tells them that there is a work that they must do that they may work the works of God. And that is that they ought to believe in him. They ought to believe in the one whom God sent. And that statement begins a dialogue, a back and forth, where the unbelief in their heart, Jesus uncovers it. Or he digs it up by the propositions, by the statements he keeps making. And they are harder and harder statements. Jesus is not afraid when he is before the crowd to speak the truth to them, even if they are offended by it. You see, his goal isn't primarily just to give offense, but the truth to an unbeliever and to an unbelieving heart is very offensive. So, last week, of course, we, we, uh, it's our second, it was actually our second time going through these verses, but it was in response, uh, Jesus is responding to their murmuring. Verses 41 and 42. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And now they complain and they criticize, how is he saying he came down from heaven? We know his mom and dad. We can go to his dad's carpenter shop. We can, you know, his brothers and his sisters. We know his family. What is he talking about? He came down from heaven. And of course, this coming down from heaven that Jesus is speaking about makes reference to his incarnation. Although uh, John in this gospel, does not give us an infancy narrative, a birth narrative, the angel coming to Mary, none of those things. Here it's very clear that Jesus' original home was in heaven. He comes down from heaven, and he's declaring his incarnation. And what he does when he hears them complain, he commands them to stop. He makes it clear to them that, look, the reason why you don't believe what I'm saying is because the Father must draw you to himself. We saw what that means. Right? There is an election to God and an effectual call, and, and he proves this point from the Old Testament prophets. And what Jesus is doing among them as he's teaching them about who he is, particularly, specifically in this chapter, that he's the bread from heaven. As John says in John 1.18, he is declaring to them who God is, who God the Father is, and that God the Father has provided this heavenly bread that they may have life. They are being taught of God because no one has ever seen God except the Son, and the Son is declaring to them the way to God. The way to God. And now, in verses 47 through 51, Jesus makes an observation because they have a presupposition about this bread that Moses gave them. So he makes an observation and, and then he declares a necessity. But now, um, instead of just walking through the passage, uh, there, uh, I, I want you to see how much Jesus repeats himself. Because this can be a little tricky. This section is, uh, by many um, 
commentators and preachers, they make it very clear that this is kind of a difficult section in the Gospel of John. Look at the repetition here. Look at verse 48. And of course, this is not even looking back at the repetition previous to this, but just in this particular section. Look at the repetition. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 51. I am the living bread. Different phrases means exactly the same thing. Look at verse 50. This is the bread which came down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He won't die. He'll live forever. The bread that comes down from heaven. Look at verse 58. We won't look at verse 58 this morning. Look at verse 58. It's, It's identical to verse 51, really. This is the bread which came down from heaven. And then he, there's that little phrase in there in the middle. This verse is kind of broken up into three parts. Skip it and look at the end of the verse. He who eats this bread will live forever. So he makes statements about himself. I am the bread from heaven. I am the living bread. And then he makes uh, uh, statements regarding acts and consequences. Those who eat it live forever. And now look at, this is part of the observation, but look at these statements he makes. Verse 49, there's sort of a contrast here between the manna and he, who he is. Look at verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. They ate and are dead. Verse 48, uh, excuse me, 58, right in the middle of verse 58. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. They ate and are dead. So you see, uh, Jesus is repeating himself. So if, uh, here, here's a point of application. If you show up to church and you find that your pastor repeats himself often, it's, he's imitating Jesus. <laughs> it's for your good. And... Uh, Paul, uh, Peter speaks to that effect, right? The reason why he does this is for, um, he speaks in this way, is for your reminder. The entire, in your Bible reading, when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, what you'll notice is that really the theme of Deuteronomy to this people who is about to enter the promised land, this generation that was raised in the wilderness off of the manna. The book of Deuteronomy can be summarized this way. Remember not to forget. That's the point of the book of Deuteronomy. Don't forget. Remember, don't forget. And Jesus is just bringing up these same same statements to this people who were complaining. This is exactly what they were complaining about, and Jesus just continues to present it to them. So he makes this statement. And, And like I said, we have an observation and a necessity. An observation and a necessity. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread, in other words. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. That's the observation he makes. Remember, 
They said to Jesus in verse 31, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You fed us with a few fish and some loaves one time. Moses fed us for 40 years in the wilderness and and the food came down from heaven. But Jesus says to them, well, they ate that bread and and they died. The manna God provided sustained the people physically. It was a blessing. They were able to survive and live in the wilderness because this bread was their sustenance. Right? It, it gave them strength. It provided what they needed to survive in the wilderness. But partaking of the manna did not sustain them eternally. It didn't even sustain them spiritually. The fact that they partook of the manna had no implications with regards to them having eternal life. The manna could not sustain them spiritually in and of themselves, in and of itself, excuse me. Now, the manna, when mingled with faith, when there was faith present in the recipient, it was a blessing. It really was. It was a true blessing to them because the eye of faith sees God's provision. It sees the miracle, because that's exactly what it was, and knows, oh, this, this bread comes from God, and it is a blessing to me. And that provision would reveal to those who were among the Jews that actually believed, they, they would learn from the manna, the all, a lot of things. I just picked two. But the almighty power of God. God is so powerful, and he rules over creation with with, with so much dominion that he can cause bread to rain down from heaven. God can sustain, he, he taught the people, I can sustain you from heaven. I can provide such a sustenance from heaven that for 40 years you can eat in a wilderness, in a barren land where there is no... There are no resources, really, I can provide for you. And the eye of faith would have seen that. It also reveals the generosity of God. You think of how generous God was that every time they went out to get food, they never lacked. The eye of faith would have seen that. And the Psalms declare this clearly. There are multiple Psalms, but in particular... Consider Psalm 78, verses 23 through 25. And you see this two things. You see God's power, his ability, his might to provide, and you see his generosity, his abundance, the the abundance that flows from his generosity. Uh, Psalm 78, verses 23 through 25. Psalm 78, 23 through 25. Speaking of God, the psalmist writes, Yet 
He had commanded the clouds above, and I think of the authority and his power, and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna on them to eat, and given them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them. Uh, so, so that's the first part. You, you see the, the, the might and the power of God that he can control uh, heaven itself. And, you know, it's like the angels were standing up there throwing their dinner down, probably upset like these people, the ungrateful people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> these ungrateful people. I've got to give them my food, my angels' food. I don't think that's what happened. I don't think the angels were raining food down on the people. But God miraculously provided. Why? Because he's almighty. He rules over creation. You know, a a miracle like this is not God stopping the, the natural course of nature and, like, intervening. Nature, he created the forces of nature. Nature is... It's, it's, it's pregnant and waiting to perform these acts. So God provides for them. And look at to what extent. He sent them food to the full. These, these people felt like I felt yesterday after the men's breakfast. You, you could, I, could have, I could hibernate. <laughs> I didn't even need to eat breakfast today. So he, um, right, so the, the provision is, is just over, there, there's just an overabundance of it. This is the way that God provided for his people. And uh, the eye of faith would have seen this. And the psalmist here records it and demonstrates that for us. That bread served its purpose. So Jesus is not, uh, you know, in making this contrast between the physical bread and the bread that he is, he's not saying that the manna was worthless. No, the manna served its purpose. But it could not do what it was not intended to do. The manna had no power to do what it was not intended to do. It was not a source of eternal life, but a symbol of the life that God would provide from heaven. That's all it was. Now, do you take note of God's provision? Do you take note? The psalmist did, and and there are many psalms that repeat this theme, even in Nehemiah when he's uh, confessing his, uh, the sin of the people to God in Nehemiah 9, there's a reference there to the manna from heaven. So throughout the Old Testament, this theme is repeated. They noted God's provision. Let me pick one such provision. Has God provided a church for you? A church, a people to pilgrim with in the wilderness of this world. In a church, you can see God's almighty power. I can't believe God saved that guy. (laughs) It's unbelievable. He is so powerful that he can save that guy or that gal. But then you also see his generosity. 
all of these brothers and sisters with the diversity in personality, with diversity in gift, all given to edify one another. And you're brought into that church. God's provision. Do you take note of it? You should. Some people don't see it. Some people, God gives them a good church, not a perfect church, not perfect pastors, not, uh, not perfect church members, but a good church. And you know what they do? They murmur and complain about everything. Could you believe that guy? You know, we pay him and he only preached 30 minutes. Or we pay him and he preaches 60 minutes. Like I don't have something to do, you know? What does he think, right? Or could you believe she sat in my seat, parked in my space, didn't do, right? It's just murmur and complain. Instead of seeing the provision that God makes for you and rejoicing in the provision. Now, as the manna, all of the gifts of God are like a church. A church the church serves a purpose. But being with the church, participating with the church, benefiting from the church does not give you eternal life. And this is the issue Jesus stresses. The partaking in the external means of God and the gifts that he gives, these external gifts that are good, good, good for us, is not evidence of an internal work of God. The fact that the people ate this manna in the wilderness did not imply that they would receive eternal life. Because their receiving of it was not mingled with. There's, there's kind of two things going on here, right, in, in this passage. One, Jesus is really just speaking literally about this bread. Literally about the intention of the bread, right? So let me, let me give you an example. Does Moses go into the land of promise? No, Moses doesn't go into the land of promise. But it is very clear, for example, go to Hebrews chapter 11, that Moses was the man of faith. He believed. He's in heaven, right? When Jesus is transfigured in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Moses and Elijah are there with him. Moses is in heaven, but he doesn't enter the land of promise. By bringing that up, my point is this, is that there are people who partook of the manna in the wilderness, do have eternal life, but they didn't go into the land of promise. You see? And his point is just very simply that the manna wasn't intended to give you eternal life. That wasn't the point of this external means. The Lord's Supper is not intended to give you eternal life. That's not the point. It's, it's, an, it's an external symbol that you have it, that it's yours. It confirms it to you. It strengthens you to believe it. Now, you see the provision of God in it. They were to be thankful and, and praise God, and it was an impetus to, to faith and to perseverance and to gratefulness because of the external means. But for those that didn't have faith, it was worthless. It really meant absolutely nothing. They could have just ate grasshoppers the whole time, you know, and scavenged, and it would have been the same result. So Jude 
in Jude 5, writes this. But I want you, I want to remind you, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's, he's making this observation based on Old Testament history. Same kind of thing Paul does in 1 Corinthians 10. But I want to remind you, though you once knew it, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And I love how the author to the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 puts it. Hebrews 4 verses 1 through 2 at the end of verse 2. He puts it this way. But the word that they heard, speaking of the people in the wilderness, did not profit them, not being mingled or mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, there was no faith there. Therefore, the, the spiritual benefit that could have been derived by seeing God's provision and by receiving it, they didn't get it. You know, what, what are some signs and symptoms that this is true for you? Murmuring and complaining. When all, all, all you can do is murmur, 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 complain and murmur. And I mean, you just become that guy, right? Or that gal. Who the, I know that every time I'm around this person, what they're going to do is they're going to murmur and complain about something. It doesn't matter what it is. Could be the weather, could be, you know, could be their car, could be my car, could who knows, right? They can complain about their wife, they complain about their kids, they complain about my wife, they complain about my kids, but they're just that's just what they do. This is evidence of unbelief in the heart. Evidence of unbelief in the heart. Look at Psalm 107. Look at Psalm 107. Psalm 105, 106, 107, 108, 109, they sort of have all, all have this very similar theme and this issue of the people in the wilderness comes up in, in all of these, particularly in 106 and 107. But if you look at Psalm 107, beginning at verse 4, here's the remedy. Right. So if this is if this is the case, if, if this is what's going on in your heart, God has provided for you, and you're murmuring and complaining. Here's the remedy. Right? They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distress. He led them forth by the way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. And look what it says. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. That's the disposition. When God provides for you, what should arise from the heart is not, I wish he was a, just a little bit better as a preacher. Or I wish, you know, the people were in the church were just a little bit prettier or a little bit wealthier or a little bit whatever. No, the, the, out of the overflow of the heart, right? It's not uh, na- being naive, right? Look, if your pastor can't preach, just buy him some books on preaching or give him some good sermons or whatever. Or, you know, I won't get offended if you buy me books. So, <laughs> bring, 
I'm not putting in a plug here for you buying me books. I'm just saying. The, the, the passage isn't talking about being unrealistic, but seeing God's provision. And then as God provides, what should flow out of the heart? What should flow out of the heart is thankfulness. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonders, for his mighty works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. That is what God does. Now, the, the unbelieving heart, when, when, when that provision is not mingled with faith, you know what the unbelieving mind and the unbelieving heart, what, what it sees is, God's not giving me what I want. He's not providing the way that I want him to provide. And this is exactly what's happening with the people. So Jesus makes the observation, really, and he wants this to sting them. You're talking about bread in the wilderness. I mean, they ate the bread. They're all dead. None of them are here. The bread that I'm promising to give you will give you eternal life. He's making this very strong contrast. We must give thanks. If you want the, that's the remedy for a murmuring and complaining heart. If you're not a Christian, and of course, even if you are a Christian, all, you know, the ultimate remedy, right, is you must eat the true bread from heaven. That's what has to happen. And so Jesus makes the observation, now look at the necessity, and, he, and he's going to stress this necessity. Go back to John, the Gospel of John. Here's the necessity. He's going to stress this to the people, beginning at verse 41. Most, excuse me, 47. Most assuredly, right? Verily, verily, amen, amen. I can't get more serious with you than this. It's like grabbing somebody by the shoulders, looking them in the eye, you know, Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? This is basically what Jesus is saying, you know? I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. What you need mostly, here, here's this divine, this, this human necessity and the, the, divine, uh, the divine means by which it, that necessity is filled. It's, it's faith. I am, excuse me, it's the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If, and so Jesus says, look at verse 50. Look at verse 50. This, the bread from heaven, is the bread which comes down from heaven. Right, this bread from heaven comes down from heaven. I was citing verse 48. That one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. Now to understand how this necessity that man has is fulfilled, you have to you know, ask questions, right? There are two primary questions that you have to think about and then some sub-questions. But the, the big question is, what is eating 
What is eating? What, what does he mean by you must eat? And then, what is the bread that Jesus is offering, particularly here in this section, 47 through 51? What is the bread that Jesus is offering? Asked another way, the question would be, what must we eat? What must we eat? So what is eating? What, what, what does he mean by eating? Well, one of the ways that you can figure this out is by examining this section, particularly John 6, and then the broader context in John, by examining it and asking this question, what does eating this bread produce? You know, I, I know that eating bread produces, you know, uh, pounds in most of us, but this bread does something different. Look at... Uh, Look with me, at same, same chapter, and then we might look at some other verses depending on the, on the time here. But, but look, at, uh, look at verse 50. What does this bread produce? Or eating produce, excuse me. This is the bread, with, verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So the person who eats this bread will not die. Now, of course, Jesus is not speaking about physical death. That's not his point. Every person, uh, uh, let me add a little caveat here. If Jesus returns, those who are alive when he comes back will not experience death. They will be glorified. But in light, let's say Jesus has not come back. Every, per, every Christian that dies, that lives, will die eventually. But for the believer, what is taken away from death it's, it's, is the penalty. I don't die as, because of a penalty of death anymore. Actually, to live is Christ. To die is gain for the Christian. There's no penalty in death anymore. That's why Christians can die and have died well. You know, we don't, there's no need to suffer, cry, moan, uh, and uh, you'll miss those who are around you, but there, there's the hope of seeing the face of your Redeemer. So Jesus isn't talking about, you know, you won't physically die, like the Mormons teach that John the Apostle is still running around somewhere. You know, that's not what... What he has in mind at all. He's, he listened to how he says it in verse 51. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Verse 58. He who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 47 now. Verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. That's the key. It's everlasting life, eternal life, spiritual life. That's why he made that contrast. We saw this the week before, last week, in verse 44. And, he's, and Jesus says that all who come to him, I will raise him up at the last day. And remember, the, the point that I made there, if you remember, is that 
the reason why Jesus focuses on this end goal, glorification, is because of the certainty that those who believe in him, truly believe in him, and we took a look at passages in Romans and other places that show this, that those who genuinely have faith will receive the end goal so that salvation, faith, will always end in glorification in the spiritual life. So the person who eats this bread will have eternal life, spiritual life. They will live forever. They will never die. So this is what eating produces. Therefore, what is eating? What, what's the metaphor stand for? What do you think? Who wants to take a... I'm opening it up here. Who thinks they know what it is? Eating is believing. Eating is believing. Now look, watch, watch this. Because then what you do is, what produces the same result and is not figurative? Because he's using a metaphor. So you just ask the question, well, he's, I know he's using a metaphor. There's nothing that I can stick in my mouth, right? <laughs> Physically chew, swallow, ingest it, uh, digest it, that is going to give me eternal life. But there are things in the Gospel of John that I am called to do, that I must do. Ultimately, God works in me and our gifts, but I must do them. And they produce, they give me eternal life. What, what are they? John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.18. John 3, he who does not believe is condemned already. But he, oh, excuse me, he who, uh, beginning at the, uh, at the beginning of the verse, he says, he who believes is not condemned. He doesn't die. He has everlasting life. Verse 47 of chapter 6, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 40 of chapter 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. What he's saying here, he's using this metaphor for eating, and everywhere it is, is you can just stick the plate in its place, believe, believe. He who believes in the bread from heaven will have everlasting life. He's talking about faith. And he's saying to them that they must believe in him. Why did he use this metaphor? He didn't have the Lord's Supper in mind. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he's talking about this. Because taking the Lord's Supper doesn't give you eternal life. What, the, the reason for the metaphor is that eating sustain, as eating sustains physical life, believing sustains spiritual life. It not only sustains it, but it's the instrument by, with, by which eternal life is grasped. Eternal life is found in the Son, of course. It's one of the blessings that flow from Him. Eating is also personal. No one can eat for you. I, I wish is maybe a strong word, but I'll use it. I wish that other people could eat for me and I would be satisfied and, and full, you know? 
No one can eat for you, and no one can believe for you. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christian, your husband, your wife is a Christian, your best friend is a Christian, the people you hang out with are all Christian and actually believe. If you don't believe, you derive no benefit. It's actually judgment upon you because you're around all of this light and you're refusing it. Eating is personal. And then also this idea of ingesting something. It's to, to, when you eat, you ingest, which is to take in and you absorb what you eat. It becomes, what you eat becomes a part of you, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You may not like where it goes, but (laughs) that's the point. It, It becomes a part of you. And that's what Jesus is saying. Or, that is why he uses this metaphor, this vivid metaphor. And, and I love how he says this. He says that one may eat of it. Here, what Jesus is doing is he is heartily commending faith. These people are complaining uh, that Jesus, they're complaining about Jesus offering them eternal life. In particular, they were complaining about the incarnation first. That how is he saying he's going to come down? He comes down from heaven. We know his family. They're they're complaining that God took flesh, and He still commends them to believe. That one may eat of it. He he wants them to believe in Him. He, he is commending faith. He's not trying to keep them back from believing. Now, so, so first, what is believing? Of course, believing is, excuse me, eating is believing. And why he used the metaphor? Because of all of the implications. There are many more. Maybe you can think of some others and we can talk about them during lunch while we're eating. Now, what is the bread? What is the, this bread? And what I think is that verses, in verses 47 through 51... Jesus focuses on on a particular let me let me let's work through it. He focuses on something in particular. So look at 633. 633, same chapter, verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There, that's easy, right? What would we say? What's the bread? Jesus. Okay, look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I'm the living bread. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 51 in the second second part of it, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now there, in verse 51, which is in our context, Jesus narrows the meaning of bread there. There's something that he has in mind in particular. It's connected with what's coming. Look at their complaint. In verse 52, Jesus therefore, uh, excuse me, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, 
How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because Jesus is not afraid to keep um, proclaiming the truth to them, no matter how difficult it is. So what he does now is he's speaking of himself, but there is something about the Son of Man, right? There, there is something about the Son of Man, which he's going to make reference to in verse 53, and about the giving of the flesh of the Son of Man that gives man life. That, was, that wasn't in my notes. So let me go, go back to my point here. So as Jesus is making the point that uh, with regards to the bread of heaven, and he's identifying it, he identifies it with himself. He is the bread of life. Easy. We can understand that. But now in verse 51b, he narrows what he means here. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And by flesh here, of course, he means his body. And what he means is my death. For you all, for y'all, this is a paraphrase, a southern paraphrase of Jesus' conversation here, for y'all to enter heaven, you must believe that I'm the divine son, that I came down from heaven, and that I'm going to die for you, that I will die in your place. You must believe that to have eternal life. That's the point that Jesus is making. He is the true bread from heaven. And because he is the true bread from heaven, he gives life to the world. But particularly, it is his death that he wants to focus on here. His dying for a race of men and women who murmur and complain at God's provision. But even those who murmur and complain, they have this free offer. He freely, he says to them, if anyone eats this bread, let me change it, right? If anyone believes in me, he will live forever. And the way that I, uh, and the bread, and the way that I give myself is upon the cross. And I give myself this way for the life of the world. Of, of course, Jesus doesn't mean that in his dying, the entire world receives life. Because there are people in hell. And there will be people in hell. What he means is that all of those in the world who believe in me will have life in my name. So that offer stands. You could be, so you're sitting here this morning and you are a Christian and you believe these things vitally. I would commend to you continue to believe much more. Abound in it. Rejoice in it. Strengthen yourself in knowing this, that the God-man, 
the man, Christ Jesus, came into this world to live a perfect life and to die for your sin. That should fill your heart with thankfulness. That's the ultimate provision. If, if there is anything that you need, you think of the, the thief on the cross. Jesus didn't say to the thief on, to the, thief on the cross, you're going to get free dental care. What good would that have done him there? You're going to get a wife. I'm going to give you a wife. I'm going to give you a husband. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you health, wealth, prosperity. None of those things would have served him any good. What he needed was eternal life. And Jesus says, right now, I am procuring it for you on this cross. It's yours. And Jesus offers that life freely. That, that, that is what you need. If you're not a Christian, that's who you must believe in, the Son of God, crucified for sinners. So I would compel you this morning to believe in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that, that we, can, we can read the Bible and we can see Jesus just make these observations from the Old Testament. It's as if he were here himself teaching us how to read the Bible. What a blessing this gospel is. And we thank you, Lord, for the clarity with which he teaches us of this, this necessity, this human necessity. We need this divine provision. And that divine provision is Christ himself, particularly, Lord your life and your death for us. May you give us hearts filled with thankfulness for this great provision. And may you, Lord, cause those who are in this room who do not believe to trust, to entrust themselves uh, to this bread from heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen.